Welcome to Infinite Possibilities, Rise from the Ashes of Your Past, a show where emotional health and resiliency are the keys to moving through all that stuff from your past that's holding you back in your life, business, and relationships, and hijacking the success you desire. Listen in and feel empowered to step into all of your possibilities. Now here's your host, Susan Desenzi. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Infinite Possibilities. Man, you know, I recently went not too long ago to an event whereby there were about 200 of us there who shared a very similar passion, actually, for podcasting. And the idea behind the event, it's called the New Media Summit, just so you know, is that people come together in their own expertise and their own experience, and they work to meet some of the top podcasters in the country who have been invited to be at the event as kind of what they call the icons of influence. And then there's about 150 participants that come to pitch these podcasters, as well as all the other podcasters like myself in the room who have a podcast in order to be guests on their show. And I can't express how incredibly mind-blowing this event was simply because the depth and the breadth of people that were there with their expertise and their experience and their histories and their stories and their passion and creativity was just something I've never experienced. It was really like stepping into a room of long-lost family that you had never met before. And I'm sharing this with you today because I've had a couple guests from not just that event, I had met them prior to that event on recently, and they talked about very different things. And in relation to kind of, you know, the possibilities that are within each one of us, in relation to those first few foundational shows that where I laid out a bit of how we take the world in and how meanings are created and how our filters and our lenses of our past experiences create how we see those meanings and how we create them, you know, as life continues to go on, even if our mind knows that there are other experiences we've had that kind of counter it, sometimes how hard that can be. And I really want to focus today on the fact that these last two guests that I had on, one of them, if you didn't catch the episode with Michelle Smith, she talked about the traumas that we can receive at birth. And the the second person that I recently had on, Sharyan Shara, talked about cellular memory. And I really want to focus on how both of these guests and their very independent and separate expertises and work and experiences and what they do in their life day to day, how it's really tied together to what we're talking about here as this adult on this emotional roller coaster. So when Michelle was on the show, she talked about the traumas that we can receive at birth. And that can be the traumas of the birthing process itself. It can be the traumas of, you know, after the birth. It could be the the traumas prior to the birth, different stresses that the mama may feel, or if the family dynamic is, is difficult, how that baby in utero can pick up different energy and different vibrations and different frequencies and and hear muffled sounds and things like that. And we do know these things from science as well. And how that trauma can affect how that child continues to grow, that they're already kind of imprinted with this kind of potential trauma piece. And then Sherry spoke about cellular memory and how we as human beings, when we take that world in, You know, remember from the first episode, the foundational episode, I talked about emotion, how it's just simply energy and motion, and that you've probably heard that already before. That's nothing new. 
And emotion is that energy in motion, that biochemical energy in motion in your body that your mind then has learned to give a label to and a story of a context, you know, or a context of a story, I should say, and how it then creates a meaning and an association with it and it gets stored away. But that energy has to go somewhere. And again, whether you consider yourself to be very spiritual or not, I consider myself to be very spiritual. I don't like the term woo-woo because I think it almost makes light of the fact that we are this human being having these spiritual experiences of varying kinds, regardless of religion or whether you believe in any of that or not, period. That there are clearly things that we experience as human beings that are unexplainable sometimes. I like to call that soul and spirituality, and I like to look at my intuition and call that the voice of my heart and the voice of my soul guiding me. But you may not agree. You you may have very different beliefs and opinions about that, and that's perfectly okay. So for the purpose of this conversation, let's just look at it from a physics perspective that we know from physics that energy never dies and that it simply just changes form. So you see that leaf on the tree in the in the spring and the summer and by fall it has lost its ability to stay alive and it essentially dies and it falls to the ground, right? And then we get frustrated that we have to clean up the yard with all the leaves in it and take it to the to the the trash, right? So if we know from physics that energy never dies and it just changes form, just like that leaf, it changes form. Eventually, if it sits on the ground long enough, it will deteriorate and it will become part of the soil and part of the earth, part of the ground once again. Well, as a baby, if we have a traumatic birth or traumatic experiences prior to birth, because we're picking up the energy of our moms in utero, in the womb. And if we're feeling those things, even if we don't understand them or have logic for it or language or any kind of real meaning that we've attached to it, we know we feel things. You ever found that when a pregnant woman, maybe somebody reads a story to the baby while she's she's still pregnant or a song is being sung to that baby, that the baby might become calmer or the baby might even be more active. Or if mom is stressed or feeling angry or upset, that sometimes the baby is more active or less active, depending. So the energies, the frequencies, those vibrations, we feel them. Remember last week, I not last week, I'm sorry, but in that third foundational episode, I asked about like if someone met two twins why would they be attracted to one of the twins, but not the other one? They might find both twins are equally beautiful and attractive and charming, but they feel a a closeness or a connection and interest in one over the other. Well, it's that, that vibrational frequency that we're picking up, that feeling from deep inside, okay? And so that's why you can find a, a dark haired person who's six feet tall that you're attracted to. And maybe you're not as attracted to blondes as you are to brown-haired people or whatever the case may be, because there's something inside of you that is resonating and connecting on a very vibrational frequency level with that other person. And so a baby can feel those things while in the mother's womb. And during the birthing process, there can be things that happen that make it kind of a harsh birth or, you know, you go from that in utero, warm, fluidy, safe kind of space all of a sudden into a harsh, cold, brightly lit room with cold hands of the doctors or the nurses, let's say. And it's a shock for the baby. So this can be considered kind of traumatic. Equally, then, what Sherry talked about with the cellular memory, we may hold on to these memories and not have knowledge of them consciously, but they are stored in our body. 
because it is energy in motion. It is that frequency, that energy that is moving about in our body that kind of gets stuck somewhere. And she spoke at length about cellular memory and how that can get trapped inside of our cells. And it actually, we know from science and studies that have been done that it actually can affect our DNA and it can actually change our DNA, which is fascinating. And you may have heard of a field of study called neuroplasticity, where we're learning how the brain is actually more capable of shifting and changing and growing with things that happen in our life based on experiences that we have. And we know as well from science that when we think things over and over again and we kind of hold them to be truths, they can actually affect how things play out in our life. Now, again, I, I don't necessarily like the term woo-woo, but I do consider myself extremely spiritual and I'm also very science-based. I am a therapist by trade, and so it, it's not so much how I was trained, but I do see both sides. I see that we are this human being having these spiritual experiences, but I also see that we're this spiritual being having human experiences. And as I've said from the beginning of the show, that is where I think the most people get tripped up in my years of experience as a therapist and coach with dealing with life and being on this emotional roller coaster of adultingness because we've never really been taught how to move through it. And so those two guests brought a new perspective to how we can perceive things. So even though I'm going to get into more depth into trauma in a future episode, I wanted to share with you a statistic that really absolutely just blew my mind. So check this out. This is crazy to me. Did you know that in the United States right now, that over 70% of adults have already dealt with one trauma in their life already? 70%. That's enormous. That's an enormously high number. And this one blew my mind even more, that over 50% of children, oh, that's so heartbreaking, 50% of children have already experienced two or more traumas already, just in the United States. Now, I don't know what it is in the rest of the world, but I found that heartbreaking, mind-blowing, and fascinating all at the same time because it really made me realize that trauma itself, as I alluded to in a previous episode, is not necessarily what we have learned it to be. That trauma does not have to mean that you were a victim of a sexual assault, or you've been a victim of domestic or verbal or emotional abuse, or that you were a victim of a crime, or that you have been a survivor of a hurricane or a flood or a fire or some other kind of natural disaster or even been in an accident, trauma is anything that we perceive to be so shocking to the system that we have a difficult time processing the experience. And so I remember, I think I was about 12 years old, we had two cats when I was growing up, a beautiful black cat named Pie and a beautiful tabby named Princess. And they had been together since they were very little. We, we didn't get them as kittens, but they had been together since they were very young. And they had a litter together, at least one that I remember. They might have had more, but I know for sure they had one litter together. And when they grew older, there was an issue that Pi had, who was the male cat, with his urinary tract. And he was having major problems with urination and bleeding and stones and things like that. And we had taken him to the vet and he had to stay about a week. I mean, this was back in, you know, 
1976, I think around 1976. So the times were a little different back then on how they treated animals. And, and I believe he was gone for maybe not quite a week. And during that time, Princess just moped around the house. She missed him horribly and, you know, that he wasn't there. And sometime after he came home and there were some medicines we could give him to try to help a little bit, but it wasn't ever going to solve the issue. It was just going to kind of help him manage it a little bit better. Princess had an issue where she had developed some arthritis in her hind legs and she was having some trouble with, with, you know, bathroom functions and things like that. And some other things were happening and she had to go to the vet for a period of days and Pi just moped around the house. He was very sad. He wouldn't, you know, wouldn't eat very much. He was, he was meowing, crying a lot, missing her. And so ultimately what happened is down the road when they both got much worse, the vet recommended that because they were so lost without each other when the other was at the vet, and because their illnesses had advanced so much, Ultimately, it was going to be just extremely painful for them from a physical quality of life perspective to let them kind of continue on. And at the same time, it was not recommended that we put them down separately because of the way they had acted when the other was at the vet. So the vet recommended that we put them down together. So we did. But what I remember the most about that situation was that Pi was like my cat. He slept with me every night. He would paw at me when I got into bed every night until I lifted the covers and he would settle in on my tummy and go to sleep and I would just drop the covers down and he would lay there for hours and hours. And he and I had a very close connection. He was my little baby. And so when we took them both to the vet to to have them euthanized, my father wouldn't let me go inside with him. And I was devastated. I wanted to be there with Pi when he was euthanized. I wanted to say goodbye. I wanted to hold him while he crossed the Rainbow Bridge. And my father and my mother thought that it would be best that I not, because I think they thought it would be traumatic for me. But the truth is, what was more traumatic for me was that I never really got to say goodbye to him the way that I wanted. So remember when I talked about the hope for gain and the fear of loss, I had the want, the the hope, the desire to be with him when he drew his last breath so that he could know he was loved and cared for and cross that rainbow bridge with someone who adored him by his side holding him. But what I received was the no from my parents that said they felt that they were helping me. They felt they were making it easier for me to deal with his passing by not going in and having those memories, those physical visual memories of actually watching him pass away. And yet it was actually more traumatic for me to have had it play out the way it did play out. Because for years and years, I felt guilty. I felt devastated. I felt hurt. I felt angry at my parents, even that I never really got to feel like I fulfilled that closeness, that lovingness, and show him how much he was loved when he passed away. Now, both my parents are gone for a long time now, and we talked about that prior to both of their deaths, and they explained why they felt the way they felt, you know, for when I was that age and how they felt they were protecting me. And I explained that I no longer harbored any kind of feelings of any kind of negativity toward them or, or the situation because I really understood that they were doing the very best they could with the resources they had at the time and really believed they were protecting me. And I appreciated that. But in all honesty, there's still that tiny little part inside that says, 
I'm sorry, Pi. I'm sorry that I couldn't be with you when you crossed over. Now, how Sherry kind of talked about cellular memory, which I have experience with through the years with some other work I do that is very powerful processing work that kind of gets to the cellular memories and helps you release those things from a physical and emotional perspective. And it's called journey work. And I became involved with it about 15 years ago for some of my own healing. And then I saw the value for my clients and friends and family through those years and how it would be beneficial because I don't believe in long-term therapy. I just don't think it's necessary that anybody needs to be in therapy for years and years and years. Now, I know I had my own therapist. That's a whole other story, but it's really my my personal feeling as a therapist is that every therapist should have a therapist, right? Because every human needs that unbiased friend, so to speak, the friend without the agenda, the unbiased person, the neutral person who can really tell you the truth of things. And they're not worried about if they hurt your feelings or if you don't want to be friends anymore. And they're not worried about if you're going to be mad at them or not. And so I knew as a therapist that everybody should have that unbiased person. And I knew that sometimes people go to a therapist because they feel like something's wrong with them and they're broken and they need to be fixed. And I don't believe that there's any such thing as a broken person. And I've worked with some very seriously ill people who have done also some very serious things in their life. They're still not broken. They're just really in a lot of pain and they have very few resources and tools and skills to know how to deal with it all. But I think that when people go to a therapist, sometimes they're looking for just that immediate resolution to a particular problem or issue. But other times they can kind of become dependent upon the therapist, thinking that, you know, again, they're broken or they need fixing and they don't have the answers. And that's why I disagree with long term therapy, is because I think that that's a dangerous thing. I think that when someone depends upon somebody else for the answers, they're giving a tremendous amount of their power away. And so journey work, in my opinion at the time, and, and, and even since in all these years, I found it to be something that could cut to the core so much faster and allow people a resolution and a freedom from that issue and that pain so much more readily and so much easier than weeks and weeks or months and months or years in therapy. And so although I don't think it's a bad idea to have a therapist long term, I think it depends uh, on the nature. So I know I kind of just contradicted myself, but what I mean by that is as long as I've been a therapist, I had a therapist. Now, unfortunately, God rest his soul, he passed away almost two years ago now. And for I don't know how many years now prior to his death, I maybe would only see him once a year or twice a year or once every year and a half. But earlier on in my career and in my life, when I was still dealing with a lot of my own shit and a lot of the stuff that was painful for me, I would see him every week. And then it would diminish to every month or a couple times a month. And then it would be months in between. And sometimes if something happened in my life, then I'd go back for a month or a couple of months and see him here and there. And you know, then I would kind of keep moving forward. So that's what I'm talking about, that it's okay to have somebody like that in the background there that you trust and who knows you and who you've been with and you know that they're really neutral and unbiased and they're going to tell you the truth of things. But to depend on them and then say things like, I need to go to therapy every week and a year later you're still not finding any resolution to the issue that you went in there for, I think that's kind of a problem. And so I found journey work among many other tools in our toolboxes, all of our toolboxes as a human being, we all have, you know, lots of tools in our toolbox. We just, again, maybe really was never taught what tools are there and how to use them. 
I found it to be very helpful to cutting down the amount of time that it takes for somebody to work through an issue. And the journey work deals with cellular memory, how we, our bodies, our, our physical bodies, hold on to that energy from a very cellular level place and how it can continue to affect our physical bodies and even our emotional bodies over time and as we continue to have other experiences. And so, especially with trauma, there is a lot of energy then that is wrapped up in that experience that then gets very tightly stored away in the emotional body and the physical body, and it can create a lot of issues. It can create stress. It can create depression. It can create anxiety. It can create, you know, I need to go have a drink because every time I see a black cat, I feel sad about losing pie. I feel sad about not being there when he, you know, passed away. I feel sad or angry at my parents for not letting me, you know, go in there with him to say goodbye. I feel frustrated that, you know, my parents didn't listen to me because I was mature for 12 and I told them I could handle it, but they put their opinion on me and said, no, you can't. We think you're too young, even though I'm saying, no, I'm fine. I mean, I'll cry and I'll be hurt and I'll be sad and stuff, but I can handle this. I understand this death thing. And that's what happens in our lives, right? Is that other people tend to put their expectations and their woulda, coulda, shouldas on us. And then we take those expectations and those woulda, coulda, shouldas of theirs and make them our own. And then we start to see life and our experiences through those lenses and those filters. And so when it comes to the last two guests I've had on who've talked about trauma and who've talked about cellular memory, it's really interesting how it's truly all tied together. How even at birth, we can have these traumas that become very subconscious and unconscious for us, but they can actually drive some of our behaviors and be stored away at the cellular level that as we grow older and have other experiences, we're then totally unclear about why we feel a particular way. And so over time, as, as you know, the show continues to evolve, as other guests come on and share their expertise and their experiences and how they manage to thrive through their own kind of histories and, and potentially even traumas, and how they worked through them and learned how to step beyond just existing and surviving into real thriving, my deepest hope for you is that you're able to apply these pieces in your own life in a way that helps you to understand how you've been taking the world in and how it has shaped who you think you are. Infinite possibilities sounds very kind of spiritual and woo-woo, right? Oh, we are this being of limitlessness. We are this infinite divinity and this infinite love within, and everything in the world is possible for us. If only we were to do X, Y, Z. But that's not really true. What I mean by infinite possibilities is that you are, at your core, more than you know. You are love and divinity, even if you don't believe in religion or spirituality in that way, you are still much more than your physical body simply because you are this human who has thought and who has the ability to ascertain and discern and put meaning to things and take meaning away from things. Because you are this sentient being and you have choice 
you are able to view your life through a different lens, no different than if you were to change your shirt or your pants or put on a different pair of glasses. You know that old phrase, oh, they're looking at the world through rose-colored lenses. Well, that's kind of a derogatory negative way of saying that that person is looking through life through this tinted kind of lens of just absolute positivity without sometimes being able to see the reality of things, right? That buildings could be crumbling down around them and people could be fighting and yet they're still walking through that neighborhood with these rose-colored glasses on going, everything's fine, everybody's happy, life is so wonderful. And for those of us that can see those realities for what they are, we look at a person like that and we go, wow, they're not living in reality, they're in la-la land. Look at them, they're wearing those rose-colored glasses. And there's also something to be said for wearing kind of those negative lenses that cause you to look at life through a very negative filter. And that causes you to see everything from a very dark and, and depressing, negative, harsh kind of mindset. And so it's like, how do we find a way to balance through maybe the traumas that we've experienced as children and as young adults and adults? How do we deal with that? And then how do we deal with it when we have been? a victim of a very intense trauma like a sexual assault or domestic violence or a verbal and emotional abuse or a car accident or a natural disaster or a crime victim or things like that. How do we really become that survivor that chooses not to see themselves as a victim anymore and then really learn to thrive? And how do we begin to look at the world through that glass half empty, half full perspective, right? Do you see it as half full or do you see it as half empty? One's positive, one's negative. How do you see the world, right? Do you see it as half empty, which is more negative, like it was full, now I'm losing something, I'm losing half of the volume, and so therefore it's only half empty? Or do I see it as half full? That, wow, look at this glass is 10 inches tall, and there's five inches of water in there, that means there's potential to put another five inches in of water. That's a very positive way to look at it, a very half-full perspective, right? And that's really kind of the crux of, of how we begin to start moving through things. The biggest key to all of life, here's, here's a little hint, here's a little tip and a little trick and a little strategy to start viewing the world through this lens. If you remember nothing else, this is, this is the key to life. Awareness is the key. The end. <laughs> now, crazy, okay? <laughs> when I was a teenager, I was going to write a book. And I said to my mother that I wanted to create a 150-page book where basically 148 pages were blank. And in the very middle of the book, in very big, bold letters across those two pages, were going to be the words, awareness is the key. And then the next line would say, the end, period. And my mother said, <laughs> I think that's a great idea as far as the concept, but I think you have to flesh it out. I think that it can't just be two pages. That's really not going to work. But the thing was, is that I was aware of as a teenager that awareness is the key. I can't change anything if I'm not aware that there's something that needs to be changed. Here's the truth about us as human beings. We don't change when we're comfortable. Imagine that you're sitting right now on a chair. Think about this for a second. I'm going to be quiet for about five seconds when I, when I say I'll be quiet. And I want you to seriously think for those five seconds about how you're physically feeling in your body as you're sitting on whatever you're sitting on, whether it's your car seat, 
you know, in your car and you're driving, don't close your eyes because if you're driving, that would be dangerous. That would be bad. But wherever you're sitting, your office chair, at home, on your couch, on the floor, it doesn't matter. Think about how you feel in your body as you're sitting. So I'm going to be quiet for five seconds. Here we go. Okay. So how did you feel? Did you find yourself shifting and moving? Did you find yourself sitting perfectly still for those five seconds while I was quiet and not moving at all? The truth about us as humans, that idea that we don't change when we're comfortable, is can simply be seen like when you're sitting down somewhere. If you're sitting and you're comfortable, you are not going to shift and change positions. But if you're sitting in a chair and all of a sudden you notice that your back starts to ache a little bit or your leg feels a little tired or your butt feels a little bit uncomfortable, you're going to shift in your chair to find a more comfortable position and you'll stay in that position until you become uncomfortable again. Well, it's no different with real life and our emotions. We are so afraid of feeling them, we're so afraid of the pain, and we're so afraid of being uncomfortable that we push it away and we stuff it down and we distract and we medicate and we avoid until we're so much more uncomfortable that we have no choice but to deal with it. And so the trick about awareness is the key is that once I become aware of where my uncomfortabilities are, I then can take action to learn the tools and the skills that I need to actually do something about it. So today is going to be a bit of a a shorter uh, episode because I feel like the first few episodes were this big luxury kind of like laying the foundation down of all this information. And it takes a while to process that all. I mean, honestly, these were things that I taught my clients over days, weeks, and months. And we're stuffing it all into like, you know, what, an hour per episode, roughly. Those first three episodes were kind of the foundational laying. So let's say in about three hours, I'm kind of shoving all this at you and expecting you to get it and understand it all. And it's not going to be something that's that easy to get. So we have to take it piece by piece. And we have to kind of process through those areas because this adulting stuff, man, shit, this should be hard sometimes. That's the truth. Being an adult is fucking hard sometimes. And it's hard because I have experiences. I have thoughts. I have feelings. I see the world through certain lenses. And if I don't know what those things are or how they got put into place or where they got put into place or how to kind of even identify them, how in the hell am I going to feel the uncomfortability that I feel and know exactly how to make it better? So awareness is the key. And so I would invite you to do a couple of things. And, and these aren't, you know, I say I invite you to do these things or it's a little assignment or a little thought assignment or whatever I'm going to, you know, whatever I do call it or I have called it or I'm going to call it. It's not really an assignment. These are little tips and tools and strategies and skills that you can begin to utilize and start applying to your own life and your own situation so you can start seeing how this works for you. And so in order to really start to kind of dive into yourself, with the least amount of pain, right? Even though it's going to be a little bit scary and painful at times, with the least amount of pain, we just go slower and we take it more step by step. And so I would invite you to spend five minutes out in the outdoors sometime over the next week before, you know, we're back for another episode next week and just pay attention to your body, to your senses. Sight, smell, touch, sound. What am I missing? Sight, smell, touch, sound, taste. Somehow I always forget taste. Go spend five minutes in nature, whether it's at a park, 
whether it's by your office building where you work and the weather is nice enough for you to go take a five-minute walk, even if it's in a downtown bustling busy area, whether it's quiet, whether it's busy, makes no difference. But spend five minutes just paying attention to the sights that you see, the sounds that you hear, what you smell, how your body feels, like is there wind? Do you feel a breeze on your skin? What's the temperature outside? Does it feel like that temperature on your skin? If it's 75 degrees, does it feel like 75 on your skin, on your face? Or do you feel chilly? Do you like it much hotter? Is 75 too warm for you? Do you like it colder? Like pay attention to that touch aspect, your physical skin sensation aspect of being outside, outdoors. And if you can't get outdoors, then do this in your house. It's perfectly fine, but make sure it's quiet. Like don't have the TV on, don't have the radio on. Just sit down in your living room or in your office somewhere at home or wherever and listen to the sounds that you hear. Pay attention to everything you see. Really attention like, wow, look at that. There's a little cobweb in the corner. Oh, wow. Over there, I didn't notice that there was that kind of dirt spot on the wall. Or wow, I can see the dust kind of flying through the air, right? Especially like if you're at home, sometimes you can see little particles, the way the sunlight hits them through a window and you can see the little particles floating through the air. Really pay attention to the sights and the sounds and the smells that you smell. Pay attention if you are outdoors or around other people, pay attention to the people. And as far as taste goes, taste is often associated with smell. So even if you're not eating or drinking anything, pay attention to when you take a breath in. Is there some particular smell or taste sense that you get in that breath when you take that breath in? Does it feel cooler as you take that breath in? When you swallow, do you notice anything in your mouth, in, on your tongue, in your saliva as you take that swallow and you notice that it's going down your throat? Is there anything different that you're noticing? It's really just about noticing and being aware of these sensations. That's for the physical. For the emotional, I invite you to do the same thing, is pay attention from an emotional body perspective when you're experiencing a short period in your life, say five or 10 minutes, maybe five minutes won't be long enough to do that. But if you can take 15 minutes to pay attention when you're engaged in some activity and you notice that you're having a feeling, an emotional feeling, pay attention to your emotional body then. What are some of the thoughts that are running through your head? What are some of the physical sensations that you're feeling in your physical body? Let's say, for example, I'm out to lunch with a friend and we've been friends for many, many years. And this friend and I have a great relationship, communicate easily, laugh all the time. And we're having this lunch and she says something very sarcastically to me and kind of mean, right? And I find myself getting triggered into feeling a little bit hurt by what she said. And I notice then if I'm doing this, I pay attention to what I'm feeling in that moment that I take just a couple of moments to notice that, oh, some of the thoughts I'm having are, wow, I can't believe she said that to me. She's supposed to be my friend. Why would she say that? She's never said anything like that to me before. How dare she? How could she do that to me? Those kinds of things. And then I'm also going to invite myself to notice that, wow, I'm feeling a tightness in my chest. I notice that I'm feeling what I call anger and hurt. So I'm feeling a little shaky. I'm feeling a little tightness in my chest. I might notice that my hands or my jaw are clenching a little bit. And I'm noticing that I want to say something angrily in return to her. But that other part of me in that moment kind of checks me at the door and says, don't. Just don't say anything. And so maybe I just stay silent. And maybe we say our goodbyes for the lunch and all seems fine, 
she has no clue that I felt that way because I didn't really say anything. And I walk away, and for the next week, I'm feeling a bit angry and hurt by that whole situation. And I notice that I'm thinking about it over and over and over again, kind of like that tape recorder that's stuck in the down position and the rewind position, and it just keeps looping and looping and it won't stop playing. And so the next week we get together for our lunch, and I'm noticing that for the last week I have kind of, some might call it obsessed about it. Others might say that I've just thought a lot about it. Others still might say that it's because I didn't say anything. There could be a whole lot of reasons why, and we're not really going to dive into that part of it right now. I just want you to start to become aware of how to be aware. And so what happens is we meet for this next lunch, and then I say something to her like, you know, Donna, we're really good friends, and we have had this great relationship for all these years. And I have to be honest that last week when we got together for lunch, you said something to me that I thought was kind of harsh, that kind of hurt my feelings, and it kind of upset me. And it was so out of character for our friendship. And I really didn't say anything at the time because, you know, I know you're going through a lot right now and you've got a lot of things happening and you're really stressed and, you know, feeling a, a lot of frustration in your own life. But I kind of haven't been able to let it go because it's really kind of bothered me. And maybe she'll turn around and look at you and go, oh my God, Sue, I, I had no idea. I'm so sorry. I just, you know, I just was you know, thinking about this and that and the stress of this and that, and I didn't know what to do. And, and, and I really didn't mean to take it out on you. That could be part of the way that communication goes. And it may not. But let's say that if I didn't say anything, what do you think is going to happen over time? I'm probably going to continue to think about that situation over and over and over again. And I'm probably going to continue to keep recalling the feelings that I had that day, which were feelings of hurt and feelings of anger, because my expectation, my idea about our friendship dictated that she shouldn't have talked to me that way. She shouldn't act that way. If she's really my friend, then she wouldn't have behaved that way. And that's the kind of language stuff we say all the time. People say it to us. We learn to say it to ourselves. And this is where we can get stuck and then loop. So when you start to become aware of the things that you're thinking and feeling physically and emotionally, and you start to break it down, you start to see how little power it really can have. Now, we will get into the whole idea of expectations and the woulda, coulda, shouldas and the if-thens and the, the what-ifs and all of that over time. But again, this has been a lot. So I invite you to spend five minutes out in nature, paying attention to just your physical senses, and I invite you to take a look at your emotional body when you get triggered by something. And really look at what are some of the thoughts you're having and some of the physical sensations you're having and some of the labels that you're giving it, like anger and hurt, like in my, in my example. And please feel free to reach out to me because, again, I want this show to be very interactive and I want it to be what you need it to be. These are big, serious topics. These are big, serious things we're dealing with as this human being. And yet I also know that you simply being alive and being here right now have infinite possibilities within you, and you have tremendous power and amazing gifts and talents to share and amazing impact to make. And so I would love and be honored for you to reach out to me and let me know some of the specific things that are happening for you so that we can address them very specifically. I hope that this has been helpful. I'm always going to say that because I'm never going to assume that it's exactly what you need. The only way I'll know that is if you share that with me. Now, I know what my experiences have been 
over 23 years professionally as a therapist and coach, and I know the things that drive us as human beings, but I'm not going to know the specifics and what the actual challenge is for you and that missing piece and how you feel stuck until you let me know. So please go into the show notes. You know, my contact info is in there. You can write to me, go to susandesunzi.com and fill out the contact form and write me and let me know what's kind of happening for you. And if you feel that the show has been helpful for you, please feel free to rate and review. The more people that we together, you and I, can help to reach and serve, imagine the kind of world we could live in. Just imagine for a moment a world where more people than not have emotional freedom and have emotional mastery, and they're not reacting. They're not automatically reacting and behaving in certain ways based on the triggers and the filters and their past conditioning and the experiences that they've had. They're actually making choices to respond in ways that come from a real place of lovingness, that come from that depth of your divinity and possibility and potential. Can you imagine the kind of world we potentially could have? Now, some may call that kind of a fantasy, but I got to be honest with you, that may be a fantasy in their world because they just don't think it's possible, but I've seen it. And I'm currently living in my infinite possibility and my potential. I'm living in my heaven on earth right now. And although I have rough days and insecure days and doubtful days, and I get angry and hurt and upset because I don't stay stuck to the story anymore, and I have the tools and skills to use, and I know how to use them, and I practice them regularly, I really do live in heaven on earth. And I really am walking through my life in joy, in lovingness, in compassion, in empathy, in happiness, and I'm living my dreams. Isn't that really honestly what everybody wants? So think about that. Please reach out. And next week, we will look at, I don't even know what's on the agenda for next week. Honestly, I don't know what's on the agenda for next week. It'll be something though. So I hope that you'll return. Have an amazing week. Reach out if you need, and I will see you next week. Ciao for now. You've been listening to Infinite Possibilities, Rise from the Ashes of Your Past, where you're letting go, discovering who you are, and taking your life back. See the show notes for important links on today's show, and go to theinfinitelypossible.com for free resources, feedback, or to let Susan know what you'd like to see on the show.